Can you build a business off of a Twitter challenge? Perhaps it's not as simple as that, but the core concept is there. Create something for people to rally around and you have a community. Participate with them and you have engagement. Jay Klaus knows a thing or two about building communities and successfully launched his own membership called Creative Companion, a membership I recently joined. By basically starting with a Twitter challenge called Tweet 100. After comparing notes on how we manage our podcasts, we get into the crux of the matter. Using Twitter in a helpful way, then building your business. We talk about mission, pricing, engagement, and tools in this absolutely packed episode. Plus, in Build Something More, we'll talk all about workshops versus course creation. This is episode 270. You'll be able to find the very packed show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 270. You'll also be able to find our sponsors, Nexus, LearnDash, and WP Wallet, which you'll learn more about later in the show or whom you'll learn more about later in the show. But for now, let's get on to the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps small business owners create engaging content that drives sales. Each week, I talk about how you can build good content faster to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. I am here with Jay Klaus. He's the founder of Creative Companion. I'm really excited to talk to Jay here on episode 270 uh, because I I kind of followed you on Twitter, uh, but then I was like really introduced to you during Tweet 100. Um, and you, you can talk a little bit about that, but spoiler alert, I gained like 300 something followers over that time, which uh, took me like a year to get the to get wow. 300 followers like before that. So it was super effective for me. And you made a great review video that I really appreciate. I don't know what was happening. Sometimes, you know, you may be, maybe you do this or maybe I'm a psychopath and no one else does this. <laughs> I'll open an incognito window and just like type in a project name that I'm working on to see like yeah. what else comes up. And it came up with a video that you posted like the day before. And I was like, wow, nice. this is awesome. Uh, so thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, if you are a psychopath for doing that, then so am I, because I do that all the time. I'm like, how am I ranking? You know, you can like use tools uh, to see how it's, yeah. but like nothing beats like a clean browser. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. Um, well, Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, I'm excited to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me on. 270 episodes. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, you know, I'm actually, maybe we can workshop this conundrum real quick because I have a lot of bonus episodes um, that I didn't number properly. So mm-hmm. like in, mm-hmm. in um, Castos, right, my episode numbers, my episode number is like 380 something or 280 something rather. And uh, I want to do something cool for episode 300. But I'm I'm trying to figure out if it should be like the numbered 300 or the 300th episode, and I should just like skip like iPhone 10 style to episode 300. Yeah, I but. think. I mean, today actually, I released episode 100 of my show, and I have the same nice, issue where it's yeah, I have like I think 122 or something things that have yeah. been released on the feed. Um, and I think I did a good job of not adding an actual episode number within my host, which is Megaphone. Mm-hmm. And I I append 
or prepend? What's what's the word if you do it at the beginning of a sentence? That is prepend, right? Pre-pend? That's prepend. Yes. Prefix. Yes. I, yeah. I prefix every episode before. that I want to count with an actual, you know, number. So yeah. that's why I've said today is a hundred. But uh, I feel you, and that's my advice because that's the choice I've chosen, obviously. Nice. I appreciate that. I actually, you know, I was doing like episode one in, with Jason uh, Coleman or whatever, and I just had my VA update all of the episode titles to be more compelling than just that. Mm. Um, but now, uh, like all of, all of my, like this, the show notes for this page is going to be how I built it slash 270. So I could like, Give everybody a heads up and then just say like, this is episode 300, but then I'll have like a big gap in my URLs. This is stuff that probably just keeps me up at night that nobody actually cares about. Like nobody's like looking at the canonical URLs going like, you skipped some numbers. That's interesting. But, I wonder how that relates to mine because my episode numbers, I use pod page. Mm-hmm. My episode numbers are fine, but I wonder what it does with like, all right, I'm going to look this up actually because I wonder- nice. I wonder how this is handled. Yeah. So I I create re, I expl, well I don't explicitly I have a a WordPress plugin that creates the redirect uh-huh. when the episode is published. So I have like a custom field in WordPress for the episode number. Welcome to Tech Talk. Um, I have a, a custom field for the episode number, and when the episode publishes, I have a little script that runs that creates the slash episode number redirect to the actual URL, which is. You know, because like a number is a terrible URL. Sure. Um, but it's really good for speaking on a podcast. So this is kind of crazy. I I think PodPage is just doing magic in the background because like I have episode number 96 and that is with Nathan Barry. And then I have nice. episode 97 with Dickie Bush. But in between, I have a re-air of my original Dickie Bush interview. Oh. And PodPage automatically creates pages. So if you go creativeelements.fm slash 96, it yeah. goes to Nathan Barry. I do creativeelements.fm slash 97 and it knew to go to Dickie Bush, the new one. So I don't know what its automatic page for the bonus episode is. Are you marking it as a bonus, right? Because like in iTunes, yeah, this is so fun. I I hope you're, people who are listening, I hope you're interested in, I guess I'll say all of this in the intro later. Um, But yeah, so if you, in iTunes, well, quote unquote iTunes feed, right? You can mark it as a, uh, a, a full episode, a trailer, or a bonus. Mm. And I'm willing to bet that PodPage takes that into account. It must be, because I'm looking here. Now we're sharing screens. We're doing oh, everything Oh, I didn't even know you could do today. that in Riverside. So, Y'all, I'm like freaking out over here. <laughs> I can see it. it PodPage just pulls everything in from your RSS and yeah. automatically makes pages for it, right? So yeah. Nathan Barry, I marked as season one, episode 96. Dickie Bush, the re-air, I marked as a bonus and it didn't pull in that metadata. So the next one is season one, 97, as marked in my host, therefore my RSS, therefore PodPage. That's awesome. Man, PodPage is an incredible piece of software, I swear. That's cool. You know, I I want to look into that because I'm on a crusade that like every podcaster needs to have a, a, like a good website and not just like the crappy website that their audio host provides them. Um, and I fully recognize that not everybody's going to want to set up a WordPress site because as much as people like me in the WordPress community are like, that's easy. It's like not that easy. Uh, and I've been looking at, at pod page. I checked out card. I think it's card with two A's or maybe it's card with two R's. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. really good. But pod page is like very purpose built and super Do cool. pod page, please. Uh, nice. I beg of you. 
Also, you, dear listener, use PodPage. It's incredible. Um, it's it's such an intuitive piece of software. It does so much of the legwork that I was doing manually by building a page on WordPress for the first year plus mm-hmm. of the show. It's just phenomenal. One of my favorite pieces of software I found in the last year. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because I I was, as we record this, I just recorded an episode of WP Jukebox uh, for the WP Tavern, where we talked about why you should have WordPress as your podcast site. Um, but again, that's like a WordPress specific audience. And if you're worried about like everything around podcasting, then WordPress is just like another thing. And I'm a developer. So a lot of the headache that you have, as well as like my audio host, which is Castos, fixes some of that. But if you're not a developer with like a custom plugin that you wrote, um, yeah, there's a lot of headache involved in it. That My pod page website, I'm looking at it in Ahrefs, it has almost as high of a domain authority as my personal website that's like six years older. Nice. Wow, yeah, that's it's amazing. It's way, way, way younger. Uh, yeah. It gets organic traffic. Um, it's getting better all the time. The health score is lower than I would expect because mm-hmm. I haven't done much yeah. in a custom way, but the health score is lower than I would expect. So there's something happening that's not making Google super, super happy. But it from like an SEO standpoint, that was one of my biggest fears was well, if I rip this out of my personal website and just make it its own property, what's that going to do to my personal website? Personal website didn't take much of a hit at all. And now I have this second property that has almost as much authority. Nice. That's like such an interesting thing, right? And uh, I should say full disclosure, Ahrefs is a former sponsor of this podcast. Um, I'm wearing the t-shirt that they sent me right now. Mm. It just says t-shirt. Um, and because uh, I, I struggle with that too. You know, I think it's easy for if you get like deep into the tools to like over engineer a lot of things. And so for a while, uh, I like my, this podcast has its own website and has for a long time, but I have another podcast called WP Review that's WordPress specific that was kind of going in in this feed. And I'm like, should I be doing this? This is weird. Should I rip this out? Um, I, I My homepage for a while was just like a mega RSS feed of like all the content I was publishing in other places. And I'm like, what is this doing to my domain authority? There's no like custom content on here. Um, it's just like a bunch of redirects. And like, what if those redirects break? It's just like experimenting is cool. Um, putting a little bit of thought <laughs> into certain things is probably also important to do. Yeah, for sure. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. What can you do with more hours? Repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers. They're all taking precious time away from you. With Text Expander, you can take it back and focus on what matters most. In 2021, Text Expander saved me 34 typing hours. That doesn't even include the collective hours I would have spent looking for responses, links, resources, code, and anything else I type regularly. Talk about creating more efficiently. You will never need to copy paste repetitive responses again. With Text Expander, your knowledge will always be at your fingertips with a quick search or abbreviation. Text Expander is available on all platforms and show listeners get 20% off. Take back your time today at textexpander.com slash podcast. This actually nicely sets up the two main things I wanted to talk to you about, which is kind of what tools are you using? We can get to that later. Uh, but, but again, I was kind of introduced to you 
mostly because of Tweet 100, um, which was the uh, which is a ha- I shouldn't say was it's still going. It's like a, a hashtag where you challenge people to I'm gonna say tweet helpfully maybe once a day, right? Because like you can like piss and moan on Twitter all you want, but like that's <laughs> not gonna get you any followers. Yeah, I think the way I put it is like share one good tweet per day for 100 days. And good is obviously a subjective term that means something to you, but it probably doesn't mean tweeting number two, you know, like yeah. you probably want to put some thought into it. Because the idea is if you want to join this challenge, chances are you probably want to build your authority and your profile on Twitter. And the only way to do that is if you are tweeting helpful, useful, enjoyable things. So this is the gamification of helping you to do that over a, you know, three and a half month period. Yeah. And, um, and so it doesn't necessarily, cause I think I did it. I think Christmas fell maybe, no, I think I was done before Christmas, but I did like a different challenge in December, but you know, holidays and vacations and, and birthdays and stuff like fell in that those hundred days. Um, and I found a tool that I've since moved on from, uh, called Chur. Uh, the mm-hmm. Chur app. Um, it was like a good, it was like a good, I think it was like four bucks a month and you could automatically tweet threads and you could add to those threads. And so something that I experimented with over that time was um, doing a, doing all of the tweets in a single thread. And I got feedback that that's super annoying. <laughs> um, so I stopped doing that, but it was really interesting to try because all of my tweets were related to I tried to make all of my tweets related to podcasting, except for I think like on 9-11, I tweeted something about like, you know, some be nice and remember when we were united. I'm from New York. Um, so, but everything else was was kind of podcast related. So I wanted them related some other way besides the hashtag. Mm. And then I also set up an, a Zapier automation to log who followed me and each tweet so that I wouldn't miss a day. Like I wanted to make sure... Um, and, and that's kind of what that video, I'll try to link it in the show notes, um, was about. Nice. Yeah. We were talking about experimenting a little bit before we got started recording. And to me, Twitter is the ultimate experiment grounds because you're not really committing to much when you're sharing your ideas there, but it's such an incredible tool to get feedback on those ideas quickly at like a statistically significant level. Yeah. want to get like mathematic because, you know, I have all kinds of ideas for, essays that I want to write, podcast episodes I want to create, projects in general that I want to take on. And it's such a great place to just air a brief idea and see how people react to it. Because you can see over time which things got a more positive reaction. So whether it's like a new lead magnet that I'm making or whether it's uh, an essay that I want to write, Twitter is just this great place to experiment with that stuff. And it really works best when you have this high-velocity high volume posting and a challenge like tweet 100 helps you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I've since stopped using the hashtag, but uh, the lessons I learned I've taken and now I've moved on to a tool called tweet hunter. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen that one around. I feel like every, like all of the, a lot of people are probably using that one now. Um, But I, it's a lot more expensive than sure, but it's so good. Like, works super good. well. Those and guys build really good tools, and they ripped off the entire Tweet 100 challenge. Did oh, they really? Okay, Yeah, they did. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, man. So, so there's a little Twitter beef here. 
<laughs> it's okay. I don't. I really don't yeah. mind. It's a free thing. Uh, it yeah. works well, and everybody who wants to do their version of it can absolutely do that. Um, but yeah, Tweet Hunter is a really good tool. Hype Fury is a good tool. I kind of wonder though, long term or even like kind of near term, because I've seen some mixed results. It's very easy for Twitter to know if you're publishing through a different platform to Twitter, and it would be very easy for them to change the rules for how effective your tweets are if they go through those tools. I would think it's in their interest that more tweets is good for them, so there's no reason to dampen that, but it would be very easy for them to do so if they're like, you know what, we don't like this industry as being built on a platform. We're going to make it so that anything that you send through a Hype Fury, a Tweet Hunter, uh, anything else typefully just doesn't get as much organic reach initially. Um I don't know that that's true or will be true, but I'm a little leery of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like that far fetched, right? If you've been around Twitter long enough, you'll know of like the great API reckoning of like the mid 2010s, right? Where like all of these apps could do everything that Twitter native could do. And then they were like, oh, well, we need to kill all this because we want to show ads to people, right? And so mm-hmm. they like really crippled some really good iOS apps, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that I'm seeing it now. I, I had some like curiosity about it at one point because it felt like the stuff I was putting through Hype Fury wasn't working as well as it once was. Mm. But um, a lot of people that I respect and, and model after are still using those tools. So I have to think that they're not seeing those effects. Yeah. You know, I read something, maybe this was from Tweet Hunter, but like they have like the, the Twitter thread delay where it sends a tweet every minute. And I guess from from my understanding from what I've read based on that is like if you send an entire thread at once, like Twitter doesn't really like that or like some of it gets lost. It doesn't so, make any sense because it's natively what's built into the tool. I've heard that also, right, but it doesn't make right. any sense because that's natively the experience when you tweet a thread in Twitter. Right. And if I'm a reader and I right. see something that's obviously a thread and it's going to be 10 threads long, it's not going to take me 10 minutes to read the thread. So I'm just going to get frustrated every 60 yeah. seconds. That's not a good experience. So I, I don't... I, I've heard that also. And I feel like there's probably a little bit of like engagement hacking because when you delay it, now each of those threads individually can show right. up in the feed as a tweet as opposed to nestled under a thread. Right. I can't think that's actually the preferred experience. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really good point. And of course, like Twitter with Twitter Blue, I don't know if you're a sucker like me and pay for it. Um, <laughs> I am. Yeah, right. So they have like that reader view, right? So it would like, it would behoove at least that feature to have the whole thread ready to go at once, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I buy into that, but I think there's probably some truth in the engagement hacking aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, I'll have to, I mean, I don't have, I have a good, uh, well, actually, again, since Tweet 100, I've, I think I'm like crossing like a thousand new followers, which is wild to me. I was like, I was stuck in the 4,000s for a long time pre Tweet 100. (laughs) <laughs> and I just crossed like 5,500 recently. Wow. Um, I'm like really psyched about it. And I guess like complaining to brands isn't the way to get followers. Like tweeting <laughs> helpful <laughs> podcast tips is weird, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so weird. So, so weird that it worked out that way. Yeah. Um, so uh, not that I, not that I can't help, but tweet hot takes about a certain potential buyer of a certain platform that we're talking about. But. Oh, yeah. I, I follow. I follow. Yeah. So, um, so with Tweet 100, gangbusters, right? You set up a, a super cool leaderboard based on Airtable uh, that, that kind of ranked like how consistent people were and, and 
Uh, and then at the end of what I think it was, was it your hundred days or shortly after you decided that you would try to, to uh, base a community, a paid community around this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was at the end of my hundred days. So here, here's the one tiny plug. Tweet100.com is where you go if you want to join this challenge. So there's a free leaderboard there and it tracks if you use the hashtag, you have to use the hashtag so the automation can actually track that you tweeted today. And it will increment your score by one and show you a percentage of, okay, of your 100 days that you've been in the challenge, here's how well you're performing. It's near real time. It's gone on about a six-minute delay. Um, and it will also track how many followers you've gained through the challenge. So all throughout that, uh, people had a great experience. And I did too. And they're meeting each other, using the hashtag and chatting. And they're like, you should make a community. You should make a community. And I'm a community guy. And at the time, I was I was working with Pat at SPI, helping mm. them build SPI Pro. And I just didn't have space for another community in my life. So I, I didn't do it off the bat. Uh, I did a couple like Twitter spaces to chat with people and uh, help people meet each other. And then towards the end of my 100 days, I realized, oh, I was the first one to start this challenge. I had a day lead on everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't like an intentional thing, but I, I just yeah. wanted to test the challenge. Yeah, right, it happens, yeah. So I realized as I'm getting to the end here, a bunch of people are going to be getting to the end. And they're going to wonder, what do I do next? So I made a couple options. You could either just say like, okay, I did it and it's over. No harm, no foul. That's great. You could extend your tweet 100 into a tweet 365, which actually uses the same hashtag. It's just for a full year. And you could join the Tweet 100 Social Club, which is a paid community that I made just for this. It was $100 per quarter or $300 for the year. Um, and it worked pretty well. We had like 30, 40 people join that. But what I realized in running that community was, oh yeah, communities are a lot of work to do. And when I'm this specifically focused, you just have to really care about that thing. And I love Twitter. I enjoy Twitter, but not so much that I want to eat, sleep, and breathe it the way that a community kind of demands. So that community eventually transitioned into the community that I have now, which is the Creative Companion Club built around my newsletter and overall business. Gotcha. So the Creative Companion Club is newer than the Tweet 100 Social Club. Correct. The Creative Companion Club launched in March of this year, so just okay. over a month ago. That was the thing that, uh, if you don't follow Jay, I, I believe you were kind of teasing back in November, maybe, that you were like building something yeah. you could join early to see what you were building? Yeah, yeah. So as early as, I think it was like October or November, I knew that I wanted to have a membership for my audience who are creators and creators who actually want to make this like a full-time thing. They want to be professional creators. So I knew I wanted to make a membership for them, but it took me a while to design what that experience would look like and what the offering would look like. So I actually had a short-term membership that was in a Discord where I said, hey, I'm going to make, make progress on this every week. Every week, I'm going to record an update and let you know what I'm doing while I build this thing. And it wasn't until March that I actually launched. Gotcha. That's really interesting. So, um, so, kind of so let's put some timeline pieces in place then. You were working with Pat at SPI to build SPI Pro. Um, did you... You're, you're not still there, I don't think, right? No, not as okay. of January. As of January. Okay, so um, this was, you were kind of getting ready to launch the Creative Companion Club. Was that like the main business model for you going out on your own? No, my business was already supporting me okay. uh, mid last year. So, all right, here, here's, here's a timeline. Yeah. Beginning 2017, I was self-employed. And I was doing facilitated mastermind groups. And on the back end of that, there was a community that was basically like, hey, if you went through this experience, here's 
an enduring community built in Slack. Because of that, I met uh, Pat's business partner, Matt Gartland, mm-hmm. and they were looking to build the SPI membership community, and they asked me to consult on the project. And so I did that in 2020, mid-2020, and it launched in June of 2020. In 2021, they acquired my community and my mastermind program to bring me on the team full-time. Oh. And so I worked with SPI through 2021, January through December, And then this year, I went back out on my own. Because the core of my business, that was not the services, the things that were like content-related and digital products and sponsorship and affiliate revenue and royalties, all of that continued through last year. And I had the Mm -hmm. biggest year of my business last year while I was working (laughs) full-time with SPI. And so I just couldn't do both anymore. Right. And I knew that I was going to miss having community as part of my life. And I've built a small reputation as a community builder at this point also. So I needed to have like a playground and a lab to experiment with things in. But I wanted to make sure I got the the format and the model of it right. Because there there are two ways to do this. Like you could have a low-priced membership where you need high volume, but more of your people are going to become customers. Or you can have a higher-priced membership where fewer people join, but um, could be more immediately uh, rewarding financially. So I had to come up with how to do that and how to message it and how to actually build it out. And I was, uh, I built it out of the Tweet 100 Social Club. So that was kind of a leg up because I had some existing members. I had some of the infrastructure already in place, but I did the, you know, rip the Band-Aid off transition in March, early March, and then launched publicly in late March. That's super cool. And I, I love that advice, right? Because again, I'm kind of... I, I don't want to beat this drum too much on the podcast. So if people are listening week to week, they're like, oh, all Joe does is rag on WordPress. But coming <laughs> from the WordPress community, I feel like we are discouraged to charge a lot for anything, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, right? Like, you know, why would I pay you to do this? When I've heard, why would I pay you when I can get it on YouTube for free? And I'm like, well, I mean, if you don't know that, then like you're not the person I'm talking to. Um, so, so kind of having a, a high price membership, right? Um, I don't want to say your prices on the show just in case they change, but it is. Oh, we can. I don't care. Okay, cool. So a standard membership, nine ninety nine a year. Um, and it offers a lot of, uh, community stuff. It, it, it gives you access to these workshops, which I want to talk to you about weekly office hours with you, monthly hot seats with you. Um, I'm really curious about this, right? Because I try to do, um, kind of open office hours using zip message, right? So people can send me a message or just grab a time on my Calendly if they don't want to use zip message. Um, and then I've been doing these like monthly crew meetups. Uh, and and I think one of the things that could kill a creator uh, who's running a membership is is spending their time unwisely or trying to offer For sure. too much. For sure. Um, now you have a high price membership. My membership starts at like 50 bucks a year and goes up to 200 bucks a year. So, you know, I, I'm in the low end, need a lot of volume. I, maybe I'll rework my pricing now, but um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you decide where is a wise place to spend your time when it comes to your community? I mean, yeah, because there are infinite places to spend it, but yeah. ultimately, you know, I have the lens of, all of my content is helping people become professional creators, but especially in the community, like 
am I going above and beyond to do something in depth that's really moving the needle for these people who are paying me to be here? Um, so a lot of it is scheduled in. So you have uh, office hours are now biweekly so that I could do more hot seats because nice. that was an experience that I recognize people really, really love both as uh, the recipient and as a viewer after the fact. So it's scheduled in though that I have two hot seats that are an hour long, twice a month. Then I have uh, four to six, sorry, two office hours twice a month. Mm -hmm. Then I have four to six hot seats. And those get scheduled on a like as applied basis. People say, I want a hot seat. And if there's space, they can schedule. There's a limit on how many can be scheduled in a month between uh, four and six. And then it's just on the calendar. Uh, we do what I call a shared focus sprint every mm -hmm. month or almost every month, which is kind of like a lightweight cohort-based course within the community. So the first month we did a, uh, a challenge or a sprint around creating a high-performing landing page or sales page. That challenge was three weeks long. There were three live sessions. I scheduled that on the oh, calendar as nice. well. Uh, this month, we did a sprint around uh, building a signature lead magnet. Also three weeks, three, three live sessions. And besides the live sessions, I will record at least one video that is like uh, educational that you can watch asynchronously to say like, here's how I'm thinking about it. So I did like a full presentation on the lead magnet thing and recorded that. And that's a 20 minute video that lives as an asset in the community. You can go through all the videos anytime after you join and still get the benefit of that education through that sprint. So that's where I focus most of my time. Uh, I do offer every new member who joins a 30 minute welcome call as well. Uh, and that takes up several hours a week at this point. Wow. But it's worthwhile because again, this is a higher price membership. Uh, that's investing in the people, the culture of the, of the membership. It's annual only. So I know that if I invest a lot in the people as they join, they're going to be here for a year. And that creates a strong core of people. There will be people who churn at the end of the year. I know that. But also now for the next still 10 months, more people are joining, relationships will form, they'll be enduring because they'll have many months to get to know each other before they even have the decision to renew or not. Um, so yeah, I, I just invest in like good education for the people who are here. I invest in relationships with them. And because it is priced the way that it is, it acts as a filter for people who are more serious and it incentivizes me to do these things. This episode is brought to you by Store Builder from Nexus. When it comes to setting up an e-commerce site, you have a choice between easy but limited or a limitless platform that you need to manage yourself. Until now. Store Builder is e-commerce made easy for everybody. It saves you time and delivers a storefront that lets you get to selling. As someone who set up multiple e-commerce sites, I can tell you that Store Builder has been a much easier experience than anything else. Answer a few questions, add your content, and sell. Store Builder was created and is supported by e-commerce experts at Nexus. Get the speed, security, and support you need when you need it. Are you ready to launch your perfect online store? Head over to howibuilt.it slash storebuilder for a special offer. That's howibuilt.it slash storebuilder. When you came up with the positioning for the Creative Companion Club specifically, oh wow, Justin Moore is right on, on this page. I just signed up for his newsletter. It's really good. It's really <laughs> um, good. Uh, how, 
I guess you you had a mission kind of laid out. Um, positioning is always something that I struggle with because, again, as a de- as a developer by trade, I'm like, well, this is a good thing, and you're going to learn stuff, and so you should sign up for those reasons, right? <laughs> but that's like not that's terrible marketing, right? You need to convince, you need to, you know, kind of tell the story and and submit the painkiller, the vitamin, or whatever, and so. Um, what was that like for you? Because I find I, I have a lot of resources for creators as well over at Creator Courses. Um, my positioning is not good, but I think it's going to get better very soon. Um, and again, I kind of struggle with the, how can I ask people who are not making any money doing this thing to give me a bunch of money to help them maybe make money? Sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, you need to have alignment with the the thing that you're offering and the people you're offering it to, Right. So very intentionally, I knew that if I wanted to price this membership at a level where I would be incentivized to do really good work, even if a small number of people joined in the immediate term, I needed to make sure I was pitching it to people who actually had the funds to do so and that it wasn't out of a place of desperation where this was like, mm-hmm. I need this to return 2x in the next month. That's, that's a lot of pressure. So you know, it also needs to align with my overall creative platform. And if my creative platform is helping pe- people become professional creators, I felt like this was the place where not only am I helping you do that, helping you go pro, but you're going to get my most contextualized, personalized help here. And so all over that website, that landing page for the club, I talk about, you know, this is for people who are already started. You're publishing. Publishing is not an issue. Uh, growth might be an issue. So when people come in, they already have a thing they know what they're talking about. They know pretty well who they're talking to. They're already doing it. It's more now like, okay, so how do I do this at a higher level? How do I improve all these systems around me and just ramp things up? Um, that's pretty much as far as I thought about it. I will say that the term creator is a challenging term in yeah. customer because it's actually very broad still. It's like, well, does that mean video? Does that mean audio Pod, does that mean email yeah mean right all yeah. these things and it's like yeah. yes could be all those things so really you know what i'm trying to tap into now and better explain i'm not trying to help people get their first 100 tiktok followers right i'm trying to help them build the system around them so that whatever they're doing on tiktok can actually reward them financially beyond the mean income that most creators make which is just so small i was just want, looking at this report from uh link tree and it was like only 12% of creators earn more than $36,000 a year or something. And it was like, wow, that's, that's not enough. Like that's not it's really, really not. Yeah. being a professional creator. Um, so yeah, the, the community is where I can spend time over time because I can't help you get there in a pre-recorded course. I can't even really help you get there in a cohort-based course because yeah. you need time. There are a lot of iterations you need to make. There's a lot of context that we need for your situation uh, the landscape is changing all the time. We need time. So, you know, you sign up to the club. We get 12 months together. Together, Let's see how far we can go. The club gives you time. I'm writing that down because here, here we go, dear listener. I'm going to give you, this is, you should never talk about your roadmap as far as I'm concerned publicly. What I'm thinking about, what I'm planning, I can't stand people who are like, here's what I think I'm going to do. Watch and see if I do it. But, um, <laughs> For a long time, right, my my podcast offering, Podcast Liftoff, uh, was about how to make money without getting sponsors, right? Like that's like, there are lots of ways you could do it. You don't need sponsors. I think that's particularly hard. The thing that I have found 
from validating my idea is everybody wants to know how to get their first sponsor. Like that's what most people who want to make podcasting a thing care about. Um, because that is hard, but it's also like the most uh, visible reward, I guess, right? You get a paycheck and then you get to talk about a brand. Um, and so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to change my positioning now. And I thought maybe I'll do a cohort-based course. But like an eight-week, this is the thing I was struggling with, an eight-week cohort-based course. How am I going to teach people to find a sponsor, build their offering, launch launch their podcast or relaunch their podcast or whatever in eight weeks and then be like, all right, go and try to find your, your sponsor now. If they don't have a sponsor at the end of those eight weeks, my trust is diminished or the trust in me is diminished, right? So maybe what I need to do is position my membership around getting your first sponsor. Then you have a year to do it. A year is a perfect, perfectly reasonable amount of time to do it in. Love that. Yeah, it's it's tough to do things that are big in a cohort-based session right. or yeah. uh, uh, program because some of them need longer than your typical four to eight weeks. But once you go beyond, you know, eight weeks and you're doing these multi-live sessions per week format, it starts to drag. It feels like a lot. Yeah. Uh, whereas a community, you know, there are seasons to it. And you can kind of jump in, jump out, ebb and flow a little bit. And that's all just kind of expected and good. I'll tell you something else I do in the onboarding for the Creative Companion Club that's proven to be really valuable so far. Part of the onboarding process is uh, every member completes what I call a starting snapshot, which is like a three-page questionnaire that basically says, what platforms do you care about creating content on right now? And they'll check like Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, all the different platforms. And then whatever they check, I say, okay, what's your URL? Like, what's your profile URL? How many followers do you have on that platform today? And then the same with uh, um, revenue gen- generating activities. So I'll say, how do you generate revenue today? And it'll have things like affiliate revenue, uh, royalty, sponsorship, uh, digital products, physical products, memberships, cohort-based course. And then again, I'll say, uh, what are the f- biggest two drivers of those points of revenue? How much revenue do you, do you generate each month in total? And now at the end of the year, I can have them fill that out again and say, when you started, here's where you were, here's where you are today. Is that worthwhile? If so, like maybe you should renew. Uh, that's brilliant, right? Because something, a lesson from early on in this podcast, right, was kind of monthly versus uh, annual membership, right? And and my friend Brian Cogsgard um, basically said like, it's easy for somebody to not see value in a month, right? Maybe totally. the maybe they're on vacation and they don't do anything with your membership that month. And then it comes time to renew, but it's easier to look over a year and be like, yeah, I got value. Right. And like this snapshot basically forces them to be like, did I get value? If I did, then it's a no brainer that I would renew. 100%. And for me as the community builder, I recognize that tension also, like through no fault of my own, you might have some life stuff happen and you're just in this mode of like today, right now, I'm looking at my budget and I'm hacking out as much as I can. Here's a recurring expense. I didn't jump in there last week. It's gone. And again, if they would have stayed for a year, they might look look back at the end of the year and been like, wow, that was wildly worth it. Maybe because of one conversation that happened. Right. Um, But when you introduce monthly pricing, you now have 12 decision points throughout the year that somebody has to decide, like, is this giving me enough value to do it again? Whereas I find that, uh, I don't know if it's easier to get to somebody to commit to a year, but it's certainly easier to get them to commit to a year than to commit to a month 12 times. Um, And 
it just does a lot better things for the community culture as well because you're not introducing all this volatility. Because if somebody leaves that I like, one, I'm going to be bummed that, bummed that they left. And two, I'm going to start wondering like, well, what do they know that I don't know? Why am right. I staying if they left? Right. Yeah, right. So that churn, maybe, especially in a community that's really kind of close-knit, who else are they taking with them, right? Um, that's really interesting. And I think another kind of maybe strike against monthly, right, is it does create that tension that um, creators feel to have to do something new every month, right? Netflix, and um, again, as I don't want to, I guess I'm going to date this recording, but as we record this, Netflix, having a rough week. Um, and, uh, but like, you know, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, whatever, like they all see that month-to-month churn when a show ends and people don't want to pay for that anymore. But then they put out content later and they come back to it, right? The customer comes back. This is why all these streaming services are, are vying for live sports because live sports is, is a churn preventer. Um, but again, if I'm, if I'm forced to pay for Disney Plus, year, I mean, I paid for Disney Plus for the first three years when it rolled out because that was like a no-brainer for me. But if I'm forced to pay for Disney Plus for a year, then I'm like, well, what comes out in a year? Obi-Wan, Ken- the Kenobi series, The Mandalorian, WandaVision, whatever, right? Like, okay, well, there's four shows coming out this year. That's totally worth the 90 bucks or whatever. Totally, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, I still do, uh, you know, new things on a monthly basis, specifically mm-hmm. those shared focus sprints. Yeah. But that's less about keeping you around. Like one, it's a core value proposition of the community. So I'm going to keep doing it. Two, by having that, I can then go to my audience because I write weekly, but this is an evergreen, always open membership. So I can go at least once a month to my audience and be like, by the way, inside the community this month, we're starting a new sprint. It's based around building a new lead magnet. If that's interesting to you right now, this would be a really good time for you to join the community. Nice. That's awesome. Um, All right. So this was really good insight. Maybe in Build Something More, we could talk about what it was like doing the transition from the Tweet 100 Social Club and kind of how you um, mitigated that, right? Because it feels like if people are in on the Social Club, well, I'm not like, it wasn't like a bait and switch, but it was definitely like, I signed up for this reason, the reason's changing and the cost is like 4Xing. Um, so maybe we could talk about that in, uh, or 3Xing, um, in, in Build Something More, which if you're listening to this, not in Build Something More, you can sign up over at howibuilt.it slash 270. It's 50 bucks a year. It's that yearly pricing, but that's less than five bucks a month. I just paid six bucks for a coffee. So it's worth it. Um, Okay, so let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about tools. I love talking about tools. We opened the show basically talking about PodPage. Um, I'm a like I said, I'm a WordPress guy, but there are some things that I prefer not to do in WordPress. My community is not on WordPress because it's like a, I don't I don't hate myself that much. Um, what tools are you using? Let's say to manage like the club subscriptions and then the community aspect. Yeah, this is a lot more complicated than you probably expect. So let's get into it. Yeah. Um, I used to, like, I'm a WordPress guy. All of my websites are on WordPress, except my podcast, which is on PodPage, and except Creative Companion, which is now on Ghost. And I put Creative Companion, my newsletter and overall business, really, on Ghost because I decided I cared a lot about page speed and I want to learn a new tool. So I'm going to do it. Nice. Um, 
what I found out about Ghost is that there's no visual editor. So the customizations that I make are just like so tedious and I have to manage versioning of different theme files and uploading that. So I've actually learned a lot, but it was frustrating and it takes some te- technical knowledge that... Yeah. Are you, you know, are you a... Here. Are you a developer like in a previous life? Are you familiar with like GitHub, HTML, CSS, any of that? No, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I'm just like, I'm a product person. I was mm-hmm. in product management for a long time. And so I speak developer, mm-hmm. um, but I don't go very far beyond HTML and CSS. Gotcha. Um, so with this project, now that I've got it running, um, I made a lot of customizations to the ghost theme because there actually aren't that many ghost themes. And there weren't many that like looked like I wanted them to look for this project. So I found a theme called uh, Ubud. And I like it. I've done a lot of customization to it. I decided that I wanted to use that as a CMS, but also as membership management. Because I like the idea that uh, using Ghost, subscribers could be quote-unquote free members and could comment on things and have an account. And also... There are no membership fees. So people could join the membership through Ghost. And besides the payment processing fees, there's nothing that goes to Ghost on top of that. So for the community itself, I use Circle though. So I process the payment in Ghost. Your entire account is managed in Ghost. And actually the great thing about that too is you can gate certain content in Ghost based on membership tier. Mm -hmm. So I can do all of my member management, member profiles, member onboarding, member dashboard, that all lives on the website in Ghost. And the actual community activity is inside of Circle for the most part. Nice. So I'll I'll jump in here. Maybe you are done. Maybe I'm not jumping in. Maybe I'm just continuing the conversation. There, well, there's um, one one real last quick thing for context okay. you might want to know. Yeah, the yeah, Creative yeah. Companion Club page, landing page, is actually Webflow on a subdomain. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay, good to know. Yeah, so... um. Let's talk about a couple. Ghost is was this open source project originally. It launched on Kickstarter, or maybe it's not open source, but it launched it on is. Kickstarter. It is open source. Okay, so it launched on Kickstarter, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, as kind of a WordPress alternative. I think this is the one that um, Matt Mullenweg like donated ten thousand dollars to, but then like rescinded it because it wasn't as open source as he wanted it to be, or wasn't mm-hmm. using the GPL. I I think this is the project. Um, and so originally it was like blogging software, if I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken. Now it seems like it's it's more in line with kind of I'm doing paid content, which is really interesting. Can be for sure. It's definitely built for content creators who want to have memberships. And instead mm-hmm. of doing like WordPress plus Memberful, who sponsors Creative Elements, I like Memberful. But instead of doing nice. WordPress plus a third party, this is an all-in-one sort of solution. Right, yeah. And it's it's kind of positioning itself as a, a alternative to uh, Patreon and, and Substack and things like that. And um, for comparison's sake, my membership is managed on WordPress with... It's like such a hodgepodge. This is why I don't recommend anybody do this. But uh, I have WooCommerce and LearnDash and WooCommerce subscriptions. Uh, I was using LearnDash for the courses, but then they rolled out a membership portion. So I'm still tied to WooCommerce subscriptions because like handling subscriptions yourself is a total nightmare. Um, And I can't get rid of this plugin or I'm going to have to get everybody who's subscribed to Switch 
And I'm like, the 200 bucks for the plugin is worth it for me. Um, but now LearnDash manages the membership stuff too, because they have that. So like, it's a hodgepodge. And I, if I was starting today, I would only use LearnDash or I would use a membership plugin separately. But, um, and then I'm also using Circle. So how are you connecting Ghost to Circle? I have an invitation link created in Circle so that once you get through the onboarding inside of Ghost, there's a link to invite yourself into Circle. Uh, I do also dispatch an automatic invitation to the email address that Mm -hmm. signs up for a membership. Um, But, you know, if their membership lapses or if they want to change anything, it's actually managed inside of Ghost. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's like, I have like, again, that's, I have Zapier. So where somebody signs up for a membership at WooCommerce, specifically with WooCommerce, uh, and it triggers a zap that invites them to to circle. And what I like about that is like I can tag them, I can add them to specific spaces or whatever, um, kind of based on what they buy, which mm-hmm. is nice. But again, like if that automation breaks, then everything breaks. So um, as a creator, the fewer uh, links in the chain, the better it's going to be for you. Yeah, I, I went back and forth a little bit because I actually love Circle's paywalling functionality. It's actually more flexible than the Ghost payment processor because Ghost basically allows you to do monthly, annual, and mm. that's it. Yeah, uh, Circle allows you to do things like biannual and quarterly, right? Uh, which is interesting. But I wanted you to be able to log into your account on creativecompanion.club and see your membership there in an honest way. Because I could have said like, all right, you pay in Circle and we'll create, we'll, we'll reverse zap you into Ghost. But then your account's going to show you that you're like a complimentary member paying $0 per year and it's confusing. Right. So it was important to me to have that live in Ghost. Um, I forget where I was going with that. but <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I think this is a good point too because it. Uh, I was kind of doing the same thing. I was doing all of my paywalled content in Circle for a while. But then I then I realized like, there's no RSS feed for Circle, right? So, um, at least as far as I know, uh, there's and I want I want my members to be able to get member only content mm-hmm. like where they want, or at least get notified of it. Yeah, right. Um, and so I started again. I started publishing everything on my WordPress website again, which makes more sense. But again, I was I was backing in like two memberships into this one circle install. And I really, I can't stress this enough, experiment, but like plan just a little tiny bit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all built into Ghost too. Like it's it's all synced up and I have integration with ConvertKit going back and forth so that yeah. when you, if you sign up in either place, it's synced between the two. But nice. I could send emails directly from Ghost to say, hey, I just published a post and it's only available to members and it's gated by your member account. It only goes out to email or to members, but it's emailed automatically through Ghost. There's a lot to like about it, but there are also some limitations that I ran into. This episode is brought to you by LearnDash. Look, I've been making courses for a long time. I've taught at the college level and I've created curriculums for several different organizations, including Udemy, Sessions College, and LinkedIn Learning. When I create my own courses, there's no better option than LearnDash. LearnDash combines cutting-edge e-learning tools with WordPress. They're trusted to power learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, and creators worldwide. 
What makes LearnDash so great is it was created by and is run by people who deeply understand online learning and adds features that are truly helpful for independent course creators. I love the user experience. And now you can import Vimeo and YouTube playlists and have a course created automatically in seconds. I trust LearnDash to run my courses and membership, and you should too. Learn more at howibuilt.it slash LearnDash. Let's talk about some of the limitations if you're comfortable with that first before we move on to ConvertKit and workshops. The biggest limitation that I had with Ghost is that everything is a single column format. Mm. Um, You can't do like two column design on a page. There's no visual editor. So if you wanted to do two columns, you're either embedding an image that looks like it's two columns, but it's not two columns, or you're completely uploading a custom built page into Mm -hmm. the code base, which is beyond my capabilities. So that's why I ended up creating um, my landing page in Webflow and putting that on the website as a subdomain because I could control the design a lot more and make it more compelling. And it still looked like the same domain because it's just join.creativecompanion.club. And most of the theme looks the same, but... I wish that it didn't have to be a separate platform that's a new subscription that I'm paying for every month just to do that. Right. So that's really interesting. So if I go to creativecompanion.club, this is Ghost? Correct. Nice. And then, yeah, if you go to join, it's like inscrutable that they they are different platforms. I feel like you effectively use subdomains, right? Because you're, is it workshops.creative, or workshops.jclass? One of your other... Yeah. Yeah. um, when I was trying to reverse engineer what you did so I could do something similar, um, I was really impressed with your setup. And I was like, man, I just very nearly over-engineered this whole thing. <laughs> um, so so with that, um, let's, let's kind of talk about this other aspect of like, uh, again, effectively using subdomains. You have a number of workshops for around $50 each, right? Yes, they're all $40 on all, the nose. $40. Oh, all 40 on the nose. Okay, I thought they were 49 for some reason. Um, okay, and and they are evergreen. They're essentially like videos that are delivered uh, via ConvertKit's um, like digital payment platform, right? Right. When they were first introduced, each of these workshops were run live on Zoom for $40. And then I took the recording of that and uploaded it to ConvertKit Commerce, and you can purchase the recording and watch it on demand, still for $40. Nice. So let me ask you then, right? Because this is, again, something that I'm, I was bad at positioning. I just kind of made a page for workshops and didn't really tell anybody about it or why they should buy them. I was just like, here's some workshops. Um, and like set dates arbitrarily. Um, do you have a minimum threshold for if you're going to run the workshop? Uh, I don't. Okay. It would be a bummer if fewer than five people showed up. I think I okay. had one workshop where live only four people showed up. And okay. that felt like, hmm, this isn't what I wanted. Because even though like more than four people purchased, so t- right. to the bottom line for me, like the amount of work that I put to create the workshop, it was still economically worth it. Mm-hmm. But reputationally, I don't know that those attendees had a good experience because they're looking around the right. room like, wait, am I one of four suckers who bought this thing? Right. Um, so I worry about that a little bit. But um, ideally, you have like, seems fairly arbitrary, but like six or more people. 
Okay. That's like a lot lower than I would have expected, right? But maybe like, maybe my expectations aren't tempered. Um, because yeah. I've done like workshops for like these huge, like longstanding communities where like we've had a few dozen people in. Yeah. But, I've, I've had it yeah. all over the board. Like okay. I've done workshops for Creative Mornings, free workshops, and had more than 300 people show up live. Mm-hmm. For my workshops, personally, I've had, let me check real quick. My most popular workshop is my community building crash course. 236 people have bought it to date. Okay. And I think live, we had like 60 people show up. Oh, wow. Um, but again, there's on the other end of the spectrum, there was that one goal setting workshop where I think we had four people show up live. So it can be True. kind of all over the board. Um, I definitely prefer it in the like more than a dozen people right. range. But um, it's it's not a big deal to me either way if it's beyond that. Gotcha. And so I guess... Is there a minimum number of purchases then where you're like, this is not worth it for me? Uh, or is it like, well, they're evergreen and I have the audience and it's helpful stuff anyway? Yeah, I don't I don't think there would be a minimum level. Okay. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that I would have less than like six purchases on this mm-hmm. thing. I'm sure there is like a theoretical level, but I wouldn't make it in the first place if I wasn't pretty certain that more than a half dozen people would want to buy it anyway. Gotcha. Because you probably, um, you have a community of people who are probably asking you, yeah. how do you do this or whatever, right? Yeah, it comes up quite a bit. There, there are ideas all the time. Okay. Um, and for context, my email list is about 12,000 people. Oh, wow. Um, Twitter, about 14,000 people. Yeah. Um, so like the, I can reach a, a fair number of people. Um, but, you know, even if like nobody showed up live, I would show up perform it, save the recording, and still upload that recording as an evergreen thing and know that like, I made this workshop for a reason. This is yeah. an asset now that I can leverage even if the live portion didn't go well. Interesting. I like that a lot. And so the last question I'll ask you around this, just because I'm generally curious, like I'm, again, like workshops, webinars, webinars are supposed to be a really good way to build your list. Workshops are a nice way to generate some income as a creator. Um, how long do you give yourself to promote a workshop or webinar? At least two weeks. At least two weeks. Okay. Yeah. And okay. And and I mean, you, you know, your your list is you've got a good reach on your list, but list size list size doesn't necessarily connotate list quality, right? And I'm not saying that to denigrate you. I'm saying that because as somebody with a thousand people on my list, I feel like I have a totally. good number of people who are engaged. And if you have 500 people who are engaged on your list, it's about in addressable audience and engaged audience more than the numbers. For sure. The the experimenting that I've done has shown me that within a week of lead time feels kind of intense. And like, I wasn't expecting this and now I have to carve out this time. Mm-hmm. More than two weeks, there were just diminishing returns in that third week and beyond in gotcha. terms of how many people sign up. Like if it's within... You know, if it's if it's two weeks out, that feels like okay. I can slot that in, or I get the recording, and that I'm not having something sprung on me. Right. But if I go into promoting it for a third week, I'm really not getting new signups. Interesting. I guess it's a, a combination of like hype, and yeah. You know, if you're constantly promoting this thing, maybe it seems like it's not. Maybe it's a psychological thing, right? Oh well, it must not be selling that well, or whatever. Yeah, and in this long game, that is being a creator. Like, I don't want to create the habit or expectation in my audience that 
you can just kick the can for forever. You know, right. like I'll I'll wait for weeks to make this decision. Like I want things to be moving kind of quickly. And yeah. if you don't jump on the boat, that's totally fine. You don't have to get on every boat that comes by. But if you're interested in that boat, like jump on the boat now. There's no reason to to wait. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's such great advice. Um, I have a lot to think about. This is why I have these these podcasts, these episodes, right? Because I'm like, I have questions. Um, but this has been great, Jay. I really appreciate your time. I do need to ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Trade secrets? Um, man, I feel like ConvertKit Commerce is maybe a trade secret. It's so good. It's so lightweight. It's so easy to sell these workshops. Um, I did some quick math and I've sold about $20,000 worth of workshops. These are 60-minute Zoom calls, essentially. Nice. Um, and a lot of that comes after the live portion has ended. And it's so easy to put these up and sell it. I will say I've experimented with the pricing a little bit. And I feel good about $40 too. I, I've tried up to $60 and it didn't convert as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I even extended the work the workshop. So like typically it's a 60-minute call, $40. My last workshop that I ran live was 90 minutes. So I said, this is going to be $60. Um, and that pricing experiment didn't seem to go well. So my working theory is like, $40 is still within kind of an impulse buy, no-brainer sort of place. Yeah. Whereas I think once you cross 50, and I do think people connotate 49 with 50, I think they're smart enough. Right, right. Um, I think it becomes a different buying consideration. And interestingly, Interesting. you know, I've built full five-hour courses that took a month and a half to produce and sold it for $200. And it's easier for everybody to win with this workshop format because for the the consumer, the user, they're paying $40 for something that they can get tremendous value out of. Easy to get $40 worth of value for something and you're not chained to your computer for five hours like working through something really heavy. Right. So it's easier for them to buy. It's easier for them to feel like that value is worth it. It's easier for me to produce. And even though it's only $40 per person, the volume's a lot higher. So I've I've deprioritized full produced courses pretty heavily in favor of these workshops because everybody wins. Uh, that's the other thing we're going to talk about and build something more, friends. As somebody just finished his 13th LinkedIn learning course. I love making LinkedIn learning courses, but I don't have to... All I have to do is make the content. I don't have to edit or sell it or anything. So I, that's my favorite model. For my own courses, though, I've done the same thing. I've deprioritized prioritized? Is that what you just said? Yeah. I, I don't prioritize my own full pre-recorded courses anymore because it is a ton of work. But Jay, this has been great. Um, I don't want the, the main secret to get buried because I agree wholeheartedly. ConvertKit Commerce is a trade secret and it is a avail- it's available on the free tier, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. What I think a there, crazy thing. <laughs> I think there is like a small, uh, transaction fee. Maybe it's an extra transaction fee, but like you can sign up for ConvertKit for free and start selling. Yeah. But I do think it's like, I think they market it as there's not a transaction fee. It's just payment processing, but they say Mm. the processing is 3.5% plus 30 cents. And Mm. processing is probably 2.9% plus 30 cents. So they're probably keeping that 0.6%, if not more, because they might have better terms with Stripe in general. Right. Um, Yeah, because you don't even, you don't even have to, you don't even have to sign up for a Stripe account. Uh, They've got like that vendor or marketer account status. Right. Brilliant. Anyway, I, I agree wholeheartedly. When I need to set up a quick product, I, even though I have WooCommerce and WP Simple Pay and a million other ways I can do it, 
ConvertKit Commerce is like the easiest thing for me to do. Um, awesome. Jay, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you want to catch the rest of our conversation uh, where we're going to talk about kind of merging two communities and courses in general, I'll, I, I want to be respectful of Jay's time. We won't go crazy, but um, it'll be an ad-free extended episode. You can join the creator crew for just 50 bucks a year over at howibuilt.it slash 270, where you'll also find all of the show notes, everything uh, about Jay. I didn't ask you where where people can find you. Uh jklaus.com find me on twitter at jklaus pretty easy to find me just google my name and pick whatever is most interesting excellent all of that will also be in the show notes as well as well as our sponsors which you should say thank you to because they help make the show happen thanks so much for listening and until next time get out there and build something 